Praise the Lord, church. Amen. We'll have to tell you right off, the jacket's coming off pretty quick. I run hot all the time. Amen. All the time. So, um, don't worry too much about clothes. I figure it's hard to improve on this anyway. So I just figured can't do much better than what I got. So, um, is that funny? I was kidding. Uh, I want to say, Brother Pixler, I came in Sunday, and, and I appreciate all the comments and compliments and things, and appreciate that a lot. It means a lot. And, and Brother Pixler catches me Sunday and says, you know, I really appreciate that Wednesday night. Now I know what's wrong with my wife. And put all those things together. I've been wondering for a long time. You put it all together for me, and I appreciate you making that clear for me. So I appreciate that. That wasn't exactly where I was headed, Brother Pixler, but you got, you got a little piece of that, right? It's kind of funny you said that because I didn't finish the last page of my lesson. So I'm going to read the last page, Brother Pixler, and that's for you. So, too, so on there. But I want to read a scripture tonight. It's basically the same scripture we uh, last week. I told you I wanted to share that. I want to continue using that scripture because I think it's a foundation for the church on everything that we do. I really do. I felt that very strongly. Matter of fact, Brother Cole, before he died, probably the last year or two before he passed away, Brother J.C. Cole, he preached this message numerous times. And he used 1 Corinthians chapter 13 over his probably last two years of his ministry. He used that scripture almost uh, exclusively. And over the years, I have endeavored to continue to read and to study that because it's such a powerful scripture. Um, it starts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, and I won't read all that, but I'll get to the end of the 30th verse there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 going into 20... Uh, 30th verse going into 1 Corinthians 13. <clears throat> so it says, Have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, yet I show you a more excellent way. And though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge and have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Do not behave itself unseemingly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, and hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether it be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether it be tongues, they shall cease. And whether it be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Then that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I even as also I am known. And now by the faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. We know charity means love. Amen? And I know that sometimes the denominational world and even our people in general have taken the word love and have misused what love really is. But we know what that is. Amen? Uh, I want to finish up, and we're going to do something that's a little bit different tonight, if you'll allow me to. We're going to uh, do something a little different. Um, but I feel like the Lord has really started speaking to me even on Sunday when I began to prepare this lesson for you. Uh, but before I do, there's two books I want to recommend to you, and really you can, for you and even your young people. So anybody who loves to read, you have a young person, the age of, it doesn't matter, 11 or 12 on up, 
I recommend two books. One is called Talent is Never Enough and Today Matters. Talent is Never Enough and Today Matters. Both of those are by John Maxwell and the recommended reading for everybody, but they'd be very effective for your young people. Okay? So I was thinking about this week because some folks have come and asked me about some reading. Those would be two very good books to, to get a hold of. In the end of last week, we talked about self-responsibility and how that the person can make a difference. The person that can make a difference is ourselves. Amen? That's called self-responsibility. Every significant accomplishment begins with a vision of one individual. That person not only possesses the vision, but also takes responsibility for carrying it to others. If we want to make a difference in this world, we must take responsibility for us first. Amen? We take responsibility for us. All the significant battles are waged within self. As we examine ourselves, we discover what those battles are. Then we have two choices. We can be like the man who visited his doctor and found out he had a serious health issue. When the doctor showed him the x-ray and suggested a painful and expensive surgery, the man looked at him and says, okay, how much would it cost just to touch up the x-ray? Some of you are still getting that. The second choice is to stop blaming others. Look at ourselves and do the hard work of resolving the issues that are causing our problems. If we want to be, want a better relationship with others, then let's stop, let's look in the mirror, and start working ourselves. Amen? And then things will begin to change around. It's amazing how that happens. Amen? Um, <clears throat> I want to share this. I wrote a few things down here I want to share with you that some other time we'll come back and visit. But I believe everybody in here has probably asked themselves these questions. Okay? And <clears throat> how do I find the will of God? How do I find the will of God? So a lot of the things about the will of God we look to as things that, that I was thinking on the way over here. I heard a statement. I read it somewhere today. And it said that, it was, talking about the, it was talking about the body and how in the body that we celebrate diversity. The body is diverse. Just like we celebrate the diversity that's here tonight, right, when it comes to race, right? We celebrate diversity. How much more powerful if we could take that concept and put it into the body, the diversity that the body brings, right? Everybody is diverse. Everybody has a calling and gift of God. Everybody. I don't care if you're 10 years old or if you're 110. You have a calling in your life. You have something you're supposed to complete before you get out of this world. Now, a lot of people think that's it. I'm going to go and preach around the world. That's not always necessarily. Okay? But we, so sometimes when we don't, because it's not the main part, we think that we're not important. But we've got to learn to celebrate that when the body is working together and everybody's doing their job in the body, the body is healthy and growing. Amen? Does that make sense? So a lot of times we get caught off on that and we think, well, if I'm not the head, you know, and we read this. We've read that scripture a hundred times over the years. But have we really thought about that? If I'm not the head, does that mean I'm not important? You know? So, so we can't get, we, we got to make sure that one is we try to find the will of God. And say, Brother Allen, how do you find the will of God? I'm going to share that with you real quick. Find the will of God, first of all, is born in prayer. It starts with prayer. So when you're asking God, help me find the will of God. And here's what happens. God begins to it's first born of prayer, and second, God puts it in your thoughts. I ask people when I'm trying to help them find ministries to do, I said, what do you go to bed at night thinking about? What do you get up thinking about? What do you go to work thinking about? And what do you come home thinking about? Now, <clears throat> see, brother, I don't want to think about a lot of things. What do you think about from ministry-wise? Well, how do I know that's from God? Let me get very simple, how to know that's from God or not. If it's not from God, it's from the other guy. 
All right, so whatever things are pure, whatever things are holy, whatever things are true. Those are not going to come. The devil's not going to give that in your mind. He's not going to put that there, right? It's all the other stuff. So as God begins to put that in your thoughts, starts working your thoughts, and then he begins to put it in your emotions. What I'm passionate about, I'm very emotional about. You can, I can tear up very quickly on certain things I'll talk about because I'm very, very passionate. And God has put that in my spirit. God has put that in my heart. He's developed that over years and years and years. Amen? And then the only thing that God cannot do that we have to do, which is the hardest part, is put hands and feet to that which he has given us and go and do that which God has given us the power to do. Because he can't do it. He won't do it without us, with all our hands and our feet. One scripture, one more scripture. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He waketh morning by morning. He waketh mine ear to hear as the learned. That's found in Isaiah 50, 4 through 7. It's a prophecy of Isaiah and the coming of the Lord. But it's very powerful, I thought, that God will give us the ear and he'll give us the wisdom and he'll give us the tongue of the learned to help people in time of being weary. Amen? Okay, now we're going to go in and we're going to talk about the pain principle. So sometimes I get talking real fast, but I tell people you need to listen real fast. All right? So, cause I, so if I talk real fast, you have to start listening real fast, okay? I'm sorry, honey. I'm taking the jacket off. I, I'm going to need that. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. So I said, you got anything to wipe my head with tonight? She said, I got this thing the ladies had so you can show them. So I'll show you ladies. She said, she said here what you want to do is do this. I said, okay. So I did that one. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about the pain principle tonight. And the reason why I'm going to kind of get through this kind of quickly is because I, we have a testimony I want to share with you tonight. I'm going to give us time to, I want to give us time to um, let God give us what he wants to give us so we can move forward on some things. Amen. I, I believe that the quicker that we can learn to get over ourselves, let me tell you a statement. I'll use this statement a thousand times you're around me. Okay, you're around, you'll hear this statement time and time again. God only won, he only works in the miraculous. You hear? He only works in the miraculous. Why? Because as long as we can do it, he's going to let us do it. Amen. That's the reason why it's so hard to get past the flesh. Because we think we can do everything, right? We'll do it. Well, God will keep letting us do it, Brother Ward. Over and over and over again. Until what? Until you come to the end of yourself. Now, here's my statement. When you've come to the end of yourself, you've come to the beginning of God. Now, you need, now, if you didn't write that down, you need to write that down. Amen? When you come to the end of self, you have come to the beginning of where God is. Self is the hardest thing for us to get by. Hardest thing to get through because we think we can do anything. But you think about the miracles in your life. When did they happen? When you had no other answer. God, I don't have any other answer. I can't do this. God says, well, here I am. I've been waiting for that. So the quicker we can learn to get through ourselves and get through all that mess, the quicker we can come to God and the miracles. There are many hurting people today. A lot of people. We don't have to tell you that. We already know it, right? We see it every single day, every single week. A lot of hurting folks. Ann Landers asserted that one out of every four people are imbalanced. And look around. If three of your closest friends are okay, the math doesn't work in your favor. <laughs> no, I notice nobody's looking around except Brother Coiners. <laughs> We're afraid, right? The fact there are a lot of hurting people is not new to us. We are op if we open our eyes, we choose to see it, we can observe it every single day. 
Sometimes we don't always choose to observe it and to see it, but I, I promise you, it is there. It is there. I see it every day. <clears throat> There's a little poem that says, The colder it gets outside, the more we huddle together for warmth. But the closer we get to get one another, the more we hurt one another with our sharp quills. And in the lonely night of Earth's winter, eventually we begin to drift apart and wander out on our own and freeze to death in our loneliness. That kind of tells you where the world's at today. It really is. But I believe there's hope for everyone. Do you? I really believe that. And many of you are sitting here tonight because there was hope for you. Amen? Thank God for it. You know, we all got some powerful testimonies. Those people, those hurting people often, when you find a hurting person, they often hurt other people. If we hate a person, again, this is called the pain principle. This is a principle that we have to learn in order if we're going to have good, healthy relationships. Okay? If you hate a, per a person, you hate something in them that is part of yourself, what isn't part of ourselves doesn't bother us. Think about that. If you want to bring an emotion to somebody, you find something that they're hurting it, and you bring that up, you'll very quickly know they've been hurt or something's happened in their lives. That's the reason why they're so emotional or show so much uh, uh, emotion towards that because probably they've been hurt in that area of their lives. But if they, if, it, if they haven't, it usually doesn't bother people. When hurting people lash out, it's in response to what's happening on the inside of them more than what's happening around them. They feel or believe something negative within themselves. The problem is that people... <coughs> who do not believe in themselves will never succeed, and they will also keep those around them from succeeding. What will happen is people that, they're, they're self-destruct. So people that have no, um, they don't believe in themselves, have low self-esteem, they will um, sometimes get so far, you'll see them, they get so, such a certain, to a certain place, and then they self-destruct. They actually do it to themselves, and they'll do it to everybody around them because of what they're feeling and their self-esteem on the inside. In a relationship, the the person with the most pain does the most damage in that relationship. And I'm sure everyone needs to sit here and think about it. The person, you can point out, the person who's in the most pain does the most damage to that relationship. Those hurting people are often hurt by other people. People that are hurting are very easily hurt by other people. <clears throat> Not only do hurting people hurt others, but they also hurt, easily hurt by others. And I was reading a story told about somebody who got a splinter in their finger. It was a splinter. Okay, we all had them. But they didn't do anything about it. So what happened? It got infected. It got infected, very sore. Somebody walks up next to it and bumps it. And they get mad at the person because you hurt my finger. Well, not really. I didn't, but you assumed and why? Because they didn't fix the, the finger to begin with and became affected. So when, your peop when people are hurting, you may touch them or bump into them or have relationships, and they will always lash out. If anyway, because they're hurting, and although the, the hurt, the, it doesn't matter. And to us, sometimes what people go through, we measure that by what we went through. And I've learned, and just recently I've learned this, that just because it does not a big deal to me or I feel like it's not a big deal does not mean it's not huge to them. And we've got to be careful to make sure that we don't try to judge them. Well, you should get over that because I did. Because you know what they call that, right? Well, I did that. I got past that. Well, you should do the same thing. Now, Pentecostals... I'm one, so I won't look at nobody. But as Pentecostals, sometimes we do that. We look at people and we say, I got through that. Bless God, you had that. I dropped my cigarettes overnight. You should drop yours. Somebody say amen. Thank you. I'll turn back around now. Woo, rough crowd, right? So, 
not really. So, um, but we do that. And what do we call that? What's the scripture call that? Self-righteousness. And what did the Bible say about self-righteousness? Our righteousness is what? Man, can you get any clearer? And that's just a simple... That's just a simple demonstration sometimes how we do. We don't always mean to do it, but we do it because God has been so powerful in our lives. You know what? My mom smoked for 20 years, 20-some years. Probably longer than that. She got the Holy Ghost on the way to church, threw him out the window, never smoked again. And I knew a guy in our church, Brother Willie Wagner, <coughs> powerful man, went over and did the, he was in his 50s, went over and did the AIM program across seas, him and his wife both. <coughs> Brother Wagner, we used to steal tools from uh, DuPont. <coughs> So he'd come home, he got a whole tool shop full of tools. So when he got the Holy Ghost, he took them all back one at a time until they all got them back there. It took him a couple years to get them all back to DuPont one at a time. But Brother Wagner had a problem with chewing a tobacco. He said, Brother Allen, it took me two years. Now, if we would have judged that man, let's say, what, we wouldn't have had a Willie Wagner in our lives. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so emotional pain works in a very similar way. Hurting people overreact over-exaggerate, over-protect, they sometimes will over-influence. That means they try and control all the relationships in their life in order to keep from being hurt by people. Have you ever seen anybody like that? <clears throat> As we interact with others, remember this. Anytime a person's response is larger than the issue at hand, the response is almost always about something else. Let me read that again. <clears throat> anytime a person's response is larger than the issue at hand, the response is almost about something else. Almost always about something else. Somebody told me one time that the issue is never the issue. The issue is always in who's in control. Who's going to win the argument? Example. How many times have you guys had a spat with your wife or husband? Anybody here besides me? Any other Christian here besides me? <laughs> so how many times... <laughs> So how many times have you had the argument and two hours later you can't remember what you were arguing about? But the argument wasn't about the argument. The argument was the fact that I'm going to win. So as guys are like, oh, I always celebrate. Women, they're mad for two weeks. But they, they may have forgot what they were mad about, but they're still mad. It's like, what were we, I don't know, but I'm still mad. Because guys, so we go after the victory. <clears throat> I'm not saying that's right now, ladies, so don't get mad. I'm just saying that's the way we're kind of built sometimes. <clears throat> there was a story about, you know, hurting people often also hurt themselves. They do. They hurt. Them. They, they self-destruct. I'll give you an example. Two men were on a train, and one of the guy was very agitative and just very arrogant, and he kept poking his friend, trying to make a point in his chest. Just trying to, every time he missed a know-it-all. Friend finally had enough of it. Came back the next day, and there was another friend waiting at the train. They were waiting for the other guy, and the guy said, man, I am tired of this guy picking on me and just poking his... Next time he does that, he said, I'm going to blow off his hand, open up his jacket, and had a thing of dynamite around him. I'm going to blow his hand off. Well, dummy, you're going to blow yourself up too. Right? But that's how hurting people think. They blow the situation up, not even realizing that you're doing more harm to yourself than you really are. I mean, that thing's right. So dealing with hurting people, um, healthy people are more willing to change. People that are hurting, less willing to change. Healthy people are more willing to admit failure. Hurting people, less willing, less willing to admit failure. Healthy people, more willing to discuss issues. Hurting people, less willing to discuss issues. <clears throat> Hurting people are more willing to deal with issues. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, wrong one. More willing to learn from others. And then hurting people are less willing to learn from others. Healthy people, 
are able to travel light. Right? The hurting people carry a lot of baggage. Amen. If you find yourself dealing with a hurting person, which we all do from time to time in our world, we should do a couple of things. Do the following. First of all, don't take it personally. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. Amen? Hurting people are going to find offenses when none is given. When you, know, when you know you have done nothing wrong, remember that's not what others say about you. It's what you believe in yourself. So it's important that we don't take things personally. See, God's given us a gift. He's given us power to help people, right? So if, we're, if we get is offended, you will be offended. Amen? If you get, let me say this again. If you get easily offended, you will be offended. One more time. If you are easily offended, hello, 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 you will be offended. And it will be probably somebody in this building who does it. Because only those you love can hurt you. <laughs> can we say that again? Only those you love can hurt you. I don't worry about people in the world hurting me. But the word, I don't, I just, you know, wipe my feet and keep on going. I, they don't bother me at all. I might get mad, but I don't carry it around. Let's leave and go on. It's who they are. It's always the folks that I love the closest that seem to do the most, try to do the most damage. Amen? So we need to look beyond the person for the, pro- look beyond the person for the problem. We need to clarify, carefully look at the past actions, or past the actions, and try to see what is causing the pain. That's very hard to do. I, I usually over years and years and years just working with people, I always say, if I could figure out what's going on with them personally, I could help them. Most of the time, not always, but I could help them. Because I could help see past the pain. I used to have, I used to tell folks, I used to build an environment where I work at, I'd build this kind of environment. I said, you have three areas of your life. You have your home, you have your job, and you have your personal relationship with God. Whatever that is, that's what I tell people. You have your personal relationship. You have those three areas of your life, okay? If one of those gets out of whack, okay, and the other two are very strong, then you're in a trial, right? If you have two of those out of whack, out of the three, you're in a storm. And God forbid that you have all three of those out of whack at the same time. Think about that. If all three of those things right now in your life were out of whack, where would you be? I promise you, people walk this world every single day with two or three things out of whack in their life all the time. We are so blessed. We are so, we do not, we are so blessed. So I never want to create an environment. I always want to create an environment that people wanted to come to work. You got to spend eight hours of your life there, one-third of your life there. You might as well enjoy it. I had some guy work for me one time. He says, Bob, I was training him years and years ago. I've never worked, and I worked in restaurant business my whole life. He said, Bob, I've never worked in a restaurant before. Will your people come come up and ask if they could stay longer? That's because they have hell to go to at home. They have no spiritual life, so that's in turmoil. So when they come here, I said, I want to create an environment that's good and healthy and the people want to be here. And I did. I had one of the lowest turnovers in Atlanta in the restaurant business. My turnover ran about 75%, and the average of the restaurant is 300% as an average in a restaurant. But mine ran about 75%. And there's a reason for that, because I tried to create that environment that people could come to and wanted to be there. So they would leave. I helped them. Some of them move. I saw where they live. I used to help some of my people move and been to their houses. I'm like, man, no wonder they want to come to work. 
I, I mean, I'm not saying it'd be funny. I'm just telling you. It's true. <clears throat> Look beyond the situation. Have you ever had to make a, a bad news call and dreaded it? But not because of the news you had to deliver, but because of, of dreading the response from the person on the other end. In these cases, we should try to focus on the situation. No, not focus on the situation too much. Remember that it's not what happens to you. It's what happens in you that matters. And try to rise above the emotional turmoil so that we can help people. Amen. So I want to share with you a testimony, but I'm not going to give it. I've asked Sister Allen to come. And uh, she's got a very powerful testimony that goes right along with what I'm talking about tonight. So we're right on time. So I want her to come and I want to share with you before I finish out my lesson tonight on her testimony. So you guys, some of you know how you know my wife and spending time with my wife. All right. Amen. It's very popular. So I will easily embarrass her, so I won't do it. But I will tell you, she's a very well-rounded individual. She's just very easy to get along with. People say you guys are just so um, real, sweet. If people use the word real. I don't know if they use me sweet or not, but... They will say it about her. They just say, you know, Brother Al, you're really real, you know. Well, you, are, you, get, what you, you get what you get. I can't help that. Um, but I want her to share her testimony with you. Praise the Lord. And my prayer sisters out there, they're going to know what I'm talking about, but you got my back, right? We come here on Tuesday and pray. First, before I start, um, I want to thank the Lord. I've got a testimony. I want to thank him allowing me to be here, to be alive, to have a chance to know him. Um, I want to ask my fellow soldiers first. I'm going to ask your forgiveness before I begin. You'll understand as I go on, but I'm going to ask your forgiveness. I'm going to have to lay my shame out for his glory, but it's a good thing. Um, I joined the Army in my senior year of high school. They had the delayed entry program. I joined that January finished high school June, went in in September, and uh, did my basic in Fort McClellan, Alabama. Aced it. I love blowing stuff up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Had a good time. And um, from there, I went to the AIT, the Advanced Training, Aberdeen Proving Grounds, Maryland, and uh, some of you brothers like this. I was a fuel and electrical repair person. For exam, we had to take 13 engines sitting on blocks, and we had to make them run before we could pass. And one of the engines was so big, I stood on top of it. I think it was a tank engine, Brother Reynolds. I'm not sure, but it was big. And one of them, the only thing that was wrong was the ground wire. It was loose. That was it. But uh, I enjoy that. I do not change tires now. I do not check batteries. The man on the front row does that. <laughs> um, then I went to my permanent party. That's where you go and begin to perform the work you've been trained to do. And I was in Wiesbaden, Germany. And um, there's where things begin to change. Um, I did really good for a while. My father passed away. So they flew me back home, did the funeral thing, came back. And I just totally lost it after that. Just went off the deep end. The drugs and the partying and, and uh, Oktoberfest in Germany. <sighs> Bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to fast forward this, and um, I ended up court-martialed, and I was looking at prison time. Now, I'd already been in jail twice when I was 15, so I knew I didn't want to go there. And uh, I'd been in jail when I was in the service when they found drugs on me. Um, it was a really bad situation, and I knew it looked bad. I had five counts of disobeying lawful orders, and anybody who's been in the military knows you only need one. 
13 counts of AWOL. Where'd I go? In the woods to get high, whatever, you know, just stop. One of them hurting people he was just talking about. And I remember, it's funny, when I was sitting thinking about this, I was, things started coming back to my mind. I remember going, asking for help. I went to a psychiatrist, one of them army ones, and his advice, go off post and walk in a field. Yeah, I'm serious. Um, and I remember, too, because I had experienced Pentecost. I hadn't accepted it. But I did try to turn to God. And I went to the chapel there to see if they had something Pentecostal, you know, or I couldn't find anything. Um, so I did go to church for a while. In fact, it was kind of uh, funny. I was up in my room having Lord's Supper by myself. I mean, I was just, I was searching. And uh, someone came downstairs and asked for me to come down, and, and they had a little Christian group that met, so I began to meet with them. But, you know, if you don't have the truth, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you don't have Jesus. Now, I don't know how people do it out there in the Christian world. I, I had to have that to live for God, something real. So um, anyhow, I was uh, looking at prison time, and long story short, I ended up getting out on a chapter for the good of the military. In fact, at the, the last few days, they had me locked in the day room, which is a room you'd go in to shoot pool, and they locked me and kept a guard up. Just, uh, I had to be guarded when I went to the restroom and the whole nine yards, and they actually took me to the plane and saw me off, and I guess they were kind of glad I was gone. Um, that's how bad things had gotten. Um, now I'm going to fast forward it again. Now I'm in church. Um, skip all the in-between. Been in about three months, and I was out filling out job applications. And uh, on the application, I put military because it gives you a little leg up. But I lied and put honorable, and it was dishonorable. And the Lord convicted me. And he said, um, and I'm like, well, Lord, I, I don't have money for a lawyer. I mean, I don't even know what to do. And the Lord just laid on my heart, I'll take care of you. If you make this right, if you'll make the step, I will go with you. So I began the process, called the VA office, went down and did the paperwork. They said three or four months, you'll hear something, you know. Three weeks, VA is calling me and said, hey, you got an appointment at the Pentagon already. Blew them away. Can you go? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll work it out. I was working. And, and um, the neat thing was uh, my mind's working. You know, I'm trying to figure this thing out. I can't, I can't have a lawyer, so... So I asked a lady in the church who was a prayer warrior and spent a lot of time with me. I said, would you go? Maybe I can allow you to speak of what God's done to me since, you know, and give that as, a, as a, something that would help me. And she agreed. But then she took off from work and, you know, and went with me. We drove up, and I drove up, drove up to a Christian boarding school. I called them to find out because it's 50 miles um, south of D.C., so that would give me a stopping point instead of driving the whole four hours from Lynchburg. And I had asked them if I could come and bring a friend and stay, told them the story, and they said, yeah, sure. And um, that was phenomenal. And you think about that, that's a whole other testimony. I won't give that, but this Christian boarding school that I got sent to as a juvenile, um, how I began to get to know God and that he loved me. So we got up there, and uh, I asked the director that happened to be there. That was another little thing the Lord provided that uh, could she go with me the next day because she knew my childhood and she had got my records when I went through the system and she could go and testify how I really didn't have a, a fair start in life 
So we drive up to the Pentagon and, and they send you into this room and there are fellow so soldiers there with their lawyers, they have their records, they're you know, and talking and, and getting ready for when they have to go in. And I get my records and I sit down with these two ladies and I, I'm just looking my records over and you know, looking for something that I could use to help me. And uh, I see a gentleman walk by. I wasn't paying attention because a lot of people, but I just saw him walk by and go up to the desk, he had civvies or civilian clothes on. And um, then as he passed back by, he stopped. And he turned around and he said, ma'am, would you mind if I looked at your record? And I, I didn't know what to think, but I was like, well, sure. So he looks at this and he stands there for a minute and he shuts it. He said, do you mind stepping outside? I said, okay. We went out in the hallway. He said, um, I'm a lawyer for soldiers. I like to represent you free of charge. <laughs> So we went back in, we sat down, and I told him my, my plan, and, and, and so we went along with it. And so those of you who've ever been in the military, if you have to go in before a board of five generals, and the lowest rank in there is a major doing the stenography, you just, you're at attention. I mean, you know, I'm a civilian, but I was at attention. I didn't know any better. <laughs> Scared. And we sat in a desk in a corner there, myself and the lawyer, and they bring in, um, Ms. Tyson, and it's very humbling for someone to stand up and tell your story from their perspective of my childhood and, and the things I'd went through and whatnot. And then Sister Simpson, the lady from my church, came in and began to tell them about what God had done. And a beautiful thing was the Holy Ghost began to move. And then I had the opportunity to tell them about what God had done in my life. And I stand here before God, those generals, had tears in their eyes. Holy Ghost moving on the military. <laughs> An awesome sight. So when we got done, they said, um, we will be sending you something, maybe six, eight months down the road, whatever, something like that. And, and they released us. And we went out in the hallway, and I was thanking the lawyer. You know, I was a new convert, so I'm like, you were sent from God. You're an angel. You know, I was so excited, you know. I just, here's what I'm, and that major came right back out. He said, don't leave, folks. They want you all to come back in here. And he steps back in, and the lawyer looks at me. He said, I've been doing this for years. They've never done this. We went back in and stood before the generals, and you could still feel the power of Holy Ghost on them. And they said, ma'am, before you leave the premises, we want you to know we're upgrading this all the way to honorable. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. And that was a phenomenal thing. Now I'm going to fast forward it. I've been in church eight years now. Been in the truth. I have a fine husband, two beautiful children. And struggling struggling. I was telling the ladies, I said, you know, the devil don't just walk in here. We bring him with us. Sets up on our shoulder. We come in here depressed, feeling hopeless. <laughs> and I was, I mean, it was so bad that the enemy was telling me in my mind, not a verbal voice, that you're destroying your family. You're destroying your children. They would be better off if you would just leave. My mind, I was thinking, I'll just, pack, I'll just go and just be homeless. I mean, that's how tormented I was becoming in my mind. 
And this all came from growing up in a home with a father that, I'm going to lay it out here, it's going to make you uncomfortable, had sexually abused me. Your daddy, the one that should you look at and he should call you his princess. You should be able to feel his arms around you and know nothing in the world can hurt you. I had all that pain and anger and hurt inside, and it was eating me alive from the inside out. And everything my husband was saying, <laughs> I'd go to church. And when I was hurting like that, I was just like, don't, just leave me alone. Just, just, just leave me alone. I'll be all right. Give me, I'll work through this, this mood swing is what I would call it. But don't bother me. And I really did. In my mind, I thought, I don't want to hurt anybody. I really felt that. But I knew I was hurting, and I desperately needed healing. And i never forget, this was our third pastor in the church I was attending. Pastor Kleindance came and his wife. And they would come to our house at night. He was a night bird. He'd stay up all night. Uh, and he'd come over, and we'd fellowship together. And it was early on, and something in my spirit told me, tonight's the night. And he came in, we, we got to talking, and sure enough, we got on child abuse. Well, I instantly reared up, cut everything off. You know what I mean. That was my thought, just cut it off, everything, so he can't hurt another child. Because that, he touched a sore point, and he knew that. So we began to talk, and we had to deal with some things, because I had allowed myself to become oppressed. And you go through deliverance. That's not possession. The devil can't possess us because we have the Holy Ghost in there. But he can be all around us, just tormenting our mind over and over. And so we had to take some authority and bind some things and get that out of there. And then I had to make sure that clean house was filled up with things of God. So when they came back, there was no room for them. But what we had to do first and foremost... I had to forgive my daddy. And let me tell you this, I thought I had. I, I did, I thought I had forgiven him. But if I had, why so much anger and hatred that was being poured out on the wrong people? Well, when Brother Kleinitz got to ministering, we, got, we figured that out. I hadn't. In fact, when he finally got down deep inside, I mean, I think I kind of growled at him, I said, no, I hate my father. He is in hell, and I'm glad because he had passed away some numbers, well, when I was in the service. And I meant it at that moment. And Brother Clint's began to minister. He says, Wanda, before you can go any further, before you ever begin your healing, you have got to ask, you've got to forgive your father. And I began to weep, and I said, I want to do this, but I don't have it inside of myself. You know, I've got all these emotions. I've got images in my head that's not, you know, they're fresh, like a picture, picture book that you look at. And um, so we begin to pray. And I prayed with him, God, help me. I want to forgive my daddy. But I need you to help me do it. So we went through a beautiful night of prayer. And, you know, you get up and you go on. It was a couple, two or three days later. The Lord back then talked to me when I was cleaning the house because she was always, you know, busy with small children. I was cleaning the bathroom up. And um, I remember I was just talking to the Lord, and the thought came to me. I could never look my daddy in the face and say, Daddy, 
I forgive you. I knew he'd never have another opportunity again because he had slipped out of this life without getting things right with God or his daughter. And I began to weep for my daddy who didn't have the opportunity to be set free and healed and forgiven. I knew then that God had helped me forgive my father. And that's when my healing began to take place. It was not overnight. It was a painful journey. The person you see here today, it took years for the Lord to bring me to this place. I love loving on you. If, if you wonder why I just want to cuddle up next to you, it's because I used to be so bristly nobody wanted to cuddle me. But now he set me free from that pain. And I can love freely. And I can just take some of you and just hug you. And I'm, I know you think I'm crazy, but I'm loving, loving people. It feels good. And I wanted to say this before I give it back to my husband. The Lord does not mean for us to travel this road being emotionally crippled. That's what he shed his blood for. To set us free and to bring complete healing. Because it's something, I'll share this. And pastor can correct me if I'm wrong. But I feel like, not just in my life, I, I, I can feel it in my life since I've been here. But I feel like the Lord is doing something with this body. That he's wanting to take us deeper in the Lord. But we're going to have to get some healing. And we're going to have to let some things go. So that we can reach out to those broken people when they come through that door. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's powerful. Amen. The reason why I wanted to have, you sh have her share that with you is because she said it. It's hard for us to help people when we're hurting on the inside. Right, and I'll promise you. And the reason why I wanted to do this message, the Lord just laid on my heart. I told by the corner, I talked to him. I said, you know, I said I think the reason why the Lord laid this on my heart now is because I really don't know any of you. Right, a lot harder if I'm here five or six years and I know more about you and your situation. I don't. I don't. I just know that God. My wife says, what happens if I don't forgive, Brother Allen? Hmm. The Bible says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. <laughs> Think about it. Sticks and stones will break my, break my bones that words will never hurt me is the biggest lie that has ever been told. We have the power, because of Jesus' name, we have the power to bind and to loose. It's easy to forgive somebody if they accidentally do something to you. If I walk by Brother Ward and I accidentally kick him, hey, no problem, Brother Allen. Excuse me. It's when they do it on purpose. It's easy to forgive when no harm was intended. But what about when harm is intended? A little harder, isn't it? The Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't say, doesn't separate the two. Real forgiveness comes when the incident, when we know the incident comes, was to do harm. But there was a message that I've never preached it. I've had it for over 20 years. 
but the title of it is Loose Me and Let Me Live Again. But did you know that we can hold people captive by our unforgiveness? Did you know that? I can hold myself captive and I can hold my brother captive by unforgiveness. That means if I have odd against Brother Ward and I don't get that right and myself, I can actually hinder his ministry. Did you know that? I can bind and loose because of the name of Jesus. Power is in the tongue. I can hold him captive. And I'm already holding myself captive. So the Lord laid him on 20 years ago, loose me and let me live again. There's some things in our lives that keeps us from reaching the people that are really hurting out there because hurting people can't reach hurting people. Right? So we've all been through those things. Your prayers will be hindered. Did you know that unforgiveness can cause disease? It's medically proven. It can cause cancer. All kinds of manner of sickness and illness unforgiveness can bring. <clears throat> we cannot have a successful ministry with unforgiveness in our heart. Our prayers will be hindered. Man, the biggest one is that God... <laughs> You know, you also want to say that, you know, unforgiveness can also bring iniquity that passed down to the second, third generation. Do you know that? Unforgiving. And then the biggest one is that God cannot forgive you. Do you know that even all the atrocities that she faced, that she couldn't get out of this world if she hadn't forgiven somewhere in her life? Do you believe that? Some of us don't because it's such atrocities. They deserved it. They may deserve it. But God didn't stipulate. We've got to learn to forgive and let it go. <coughs> but we don't want to miss heaven because of it. The Bible says, lay your gifts down at the altar. Turn around. Be reconciled. And then come back and pick your gifts back up. We forget to preach that sometimes, don't we? We don't like those scriptures because we make them feel uncomfortable. I'm going to ask you something. How do I know when I've truly forgiven? How do I know? Now, I just want to demonstrate it. It's real easy. It's not terrible. I've got this uh, scar on my arm. And so, if you look at the scar, it's been there since I was 14 years old. I caught it on a piece of barbed wire when I was riding my bike. Touch that, brother boy. That don't hurt no more. Scar's still there. The memory of what happened is still there. But it no longer brings any pain. See, what she's weeping is what God has delivered her from. Not from the pain anymore. It doesn't hurt anymore. That's how you know you've forgiven. Man. <clears throat> I was uh, sitting. Uh, uh, I always call those places. And I, and I look up the word. I was calling those places that are the hurting places where I went back and visited and received deliverance. Bethel, a holy place where I receive healing. That's my Bethel. And we all have those places. We've got to keep going back and visiting those in our lives. And then we've got to be careful not to get hard because of them. And also we've got to be careful that we, with a, we, that we have compassion in people. If you look at what Jesus did, every time he, he was moved on to compassion, healing take place. Moved on to compassion. You're reading the scripture. Sometimes people try to operate in the gifts of healing things without compassion. I don't know that that's good. I was sitting before the district board here and getting my license, and we had been through two church splits in the same church. 
a lot of painful things going on. I was sitting on the district board some years later. I think another night, it was like eight or nine years later, I was sitting before the board. And for some reason, they brought up the question. With Alan, have you forgiven those people? Because I stayed with it. I stayed in the church. My wife got all the way down to 11, 11 members. My wife and I were, were two of those. I was 11. Got down to 11 people. <coughs> and the district board asked me, he said, have you forgiven those people? My answer was this. Because I sat and I thought about it for a minute. And I said, I'll know when I see them. I will know. I said, I feel like I have, but I will know when I see them. And they like that answer, so I got my license. <laughs> but what I wanted to say is there's an elder of the church who was there during that, this uproar, and they left, one of the men of our church. And he was a very influential man. He left, and then was Brother Moore. 30 years my senior, probably 35 years my senior, and I was a 19 or 20 year old kid. And he called Brother Kleinitz up years later. He said, Brother Kleinitz, my wife and I want to come back to the Lynchburg church. Now he's one of the ones that caused a lot of the turmoil, a lot of issues. But I will only come back if Brother Allen says it's okay. And it was shocked by the question. Because <clears throat> I had been hurt and he knew, but he wanted to know what I thought. Pastor, I said, tell him, come on, let's have revival. Let's have revival. I remember one night at the altar, Brother Moore was there, and one night I was going through something, and, <clears throat> and I, I went down to the front, the altar, came off the platform, came down, asked Brother Moore, I want you to pray for me. <laughs> Brother Moore, being a respectful man that he was, you know, he's in his 60s or 70s now, he's 86, I think now. He laid his hand on, he wouldn't touch me, he, he just wouldn't lay my hand on my shoulder. And I took his hand and just laid it on my forehead. At that moment, I was loosed, and Brother Moore was loosed. And I got something from God. So the reason why I want to use the examples is that <clears throat> now you, we, we want, have to loose ourselves from our pain. God wants to loose us. We can't loose ourselves. God has to do it. And if we want to help our world and help people, we must be free of unforgiveness and pain. And that way we can talk about the scars without the pain. I've asked Brother, I'd like for you to stand, if you could, please. <clears throat> I've asked Brother Coyner to come and have a word of prayer. And here's what I'd like to see happen, is I feel I've been, the Lord's been just talking to me all week about this, that the Lord wants to lose some things inside of this church, inside of you as individuals. That's not my business what they are, that's between you and God. But I think the Holy Ghost is here and created an atmosphere that God is healing and you know healing takes a little while sometimes. Healing takes a little while. This garden heal overnight. It took a while. It's pretty deep. But God wants to bring some healing so that we can go, we can help others. So I've asked Brother Corner to come and lead us in prayer and just speak maybe a word of deliverance to us so that God can take us another dimension. Amen. Bless you. Thank you, Brother Allen. He told me the other day, he said, I'm going to be, his, his series is on winning with people and said I'm going to be talking about hurting people and I got to think what's that got to do with winning people it's got a lot to do with it doesn't it man when we're hurting we tend to hurt and really when we forgive those who have hurt us whether we just think they've hurt us or if they have actually hurt us the one whom we really set free is ourselves and when we're free, we're free to heal. 
And God can work through us, use us. There's not one of us in here that probably hasn't experienced some sort of pain in your life. Whether it be with something like Sister Allen has experienced, maybe somebody's, one man I knew had been ripped off $100,000 from another man. But he said, I can see that man today because I've forgiven him. And he says, and I can hug him and love him because God has removed that pain and that hurt. Amen. I want to be set free tonight. Praise God. And you know what? This may just be the first step in the journey of forgiveness. It's like Sister Allen said, it, it may not happen instantaneously it may but it may not but it's taking that step doesn't mean what they've done you're not saying what they've done is right you're saying I'm letting go just as Lord you have forgiven my debts things that I've not done is right but you've let it go the Lord's prayer says Lord as you've forgiven me I want to forgive others like you have forgiven me I want to let it go and in that process he's setting me free how many want to be set free tonight praise God I want to do just something a little different I this isn't a normal Wednesday this uh, doesn't have to be and God can touch us on a Wednesday night can heal us on a Wednesday night I want this altar open and I wonder if you're just open. Maybe you can't even think of somebody or something you need to forgive, but that's all right. You're coming forward because you want that to be your attitude. Amen. I just wonder if you just come and let's just fill up this altar tonight. Amen. And open ourselves. We don't need any music. All we need is the Holy Ghost. We just need his presence tonight. And you're in a safe place tonight. Because there's people here that love God. And because we're gathered in his name, he is with us right now. So you're in a safe place. If you need to cry out to him, cry out. You want to cry and you want to weep, you're able to do that. Amen, because you're in a safe place tonight. You're with people that love the Lord and they love you. Amen, and we understand a little bit about being hurt and about forgiveness. Praise God. Hallelujah. If somebody comes up and just puts their arm on their shoulder, it's just letting you know I'm with you and we're here to help you and we want the Lord to bless you. Amen. Praise God. Can we all together as a body just lift our voice? The Bible says when we cry out to him, we lift our voice to him. Hallelujah. We don't have to worry about who's listening. Oh, God, we thank you for what we have heard tonight. We thank you for showing us in literal flesh and blood those that have been able to forgive those that have been able to let loose 
And because they have done it, you have brought healing to their lives. You brought deliverance to their lives. You brought peace in their soul. God, we want that peace, God. We want to feel that love. Oh, in the name of Jesus Christ, as we're able to forgive, Lord, as you have forgiven us, in the name of Jesus Christ, Set us free. Loose us tonight. Let this be the first step we've taken, oh God. Or maybe it's the last step that we've needed to take tonight, Lord. Hallelujah. But let it be something manifested in our lives. Hallelujah. That makes a difference. That we can feel that joy of the Holy Ghost. And that peace that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, as we have taken the step of faith by coming to this altar tonight, Lord. We know you're here. We know you're going to touch us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can you reach over to somebody, a brother, a sister, just place your hand on their shoulder. Let's love one another tonight. Let's pray for one another tonight. Hallelujah, God, that... We can help each other make this journey, Lord. I can't make it by myself, Lord. But I need my brothers and I need my sisters. In the name of Jesus Christ, as we want to be your hands, Lord. Hallelujah. We want to be your body tonight, God. Oh, in the name of Jesus, touch us. Touch my brother, Lord. Hallelujah, as we let those things go, Father. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're walking by faith, not by emotions. Not by just by what we feel tonight, but by what we believe tonight that you're going to do in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds and in our families, oh God. In the name of Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's it. Just praise him tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.